So welcome in to the Backroads Podcast. This is the week eight edition. As they say, spring has sprung. Well, I guess fall has fallen, Bobby, as uh, temperatures dropped across the state last week. And they're up and down. We got weather coming through. Lots of good six-man football going on. Some district play happening. And district coming up for a lot of them. So let's get this thing started. Uh, I'm Craig Spear with the Happy Sports Network. And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. Bobby, I'm really looking forward to today's episode because we're about to start talking about district for a lot of teams. So we'll finish a lot of things up. A lot of teams on bye week this week. But uh, as always, we get things started with an interview. And we got Coach Isaiah Archer from Newcastle joining us this afternoon. We sure do. I'm excited about this. All right. Next here on the Backroads podcast, we got our coaching interview. And tonight, today, tonight, whatever you want to call it, we've got the head coach for Newcastle out of District 8. That is Coach Isaiah Archer. Coach, welcome in. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Hey, good to have you on here. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing because as I was kind of researching your background here, it amazed me how many guys I found you were an all-region player in 2006, 2007. In fact, 2007, you were the Region 2 MVP. And I just found it interesting as I was kind of looking through that list, the number of coaches that came out of that group there. There's you, there's uh, Menchaca, there's Perryman, there's Avalos. What do you think about that group of people sprung all these coaches around the state? I just think it's a great testament for the guys who we had, you know, coaching us and bringing us up that – we were able to follow in their footsteps, and in that time that I think football was great, we were able to just, you know, fall in love with it, fall in love with something that to, to, I'm sure for a lot of us to keep us out of trouble. And, you know, we didn't only just play against each other, but we a lot of us went to college together. Uh, me, Perryman, Rucker, Kate Kitley, Menchaca, Avalos, he was right down the street in Abilene. So it's a special bond that we have with each other, and, and I think it's very unique and very fun uh, to see that. Now, Bobby will agree with me. You named off a lot of names in there. Those names kind of scare me when I think about you guys in college, but <laughs> that's probably for another podcast. So we'll, we'll set that aside. That's the back road, back road. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. So you take over for Newcastle this year. Uh, Coach Menchaca goes over to Vernon Northside. Uh, this isn't your first stop, though, as a coaching uh, head coach there, but uh, – Talk about what you've been trying to install in your team, your team now four and three, but playing good football. Yeah, we're just trying to be physical, you know, be physical, be disciplined, and uh, go out and have some fun. We have a very young team. We have one senior that's been been injured all year long, so basically no seniors. Uh, so we're just trying to install that just grittiness that Newcastle is known for. And, and every game we tell them, you know, go out and make a legacy, be part of the Newcastle legacy and be – be that tough, gritty player that they've always had. Now, you got district play coming up uh, starting this week. Talk about your district there. You're in there with Forsberg, Goldberg, and Strawn. This isn't the Strawn of old, uh, but obviously Coach Lee there, he's going to have his team, right? Just talk about that district and, and where you feel like Newcastle fits in. Uh, it's a very competitive district. I think all of us are all right there together, kind of young, and, you know, there's new coach in Goldberg, so they're trying to learn a system. Um, we open up with Strong. That, that'll be next week. That'll be a very interesting matchup. I just think we all have an opportunity, you know, to kind of beat up on each other, and if not too bad. And I think anybody who gets gets the district championship is going to have a chance to make a couple rounds. So very competitive, and we're just going to try to, you know, do the best we can every week. There's only three left. We're going to give you three. You got to go earn the rest of them. So when you look at your team, uh, you know, Ty Strawbridge seems to have stats every single week. Isaac King had a really good uh, game for you this past week. Talk about some of your players and and how they fit in on that team. You know, we have those two guys that, that took most of the stuff for us. But, you know, we really – we have a good junior class. Adding to those two guys, Kenny Jones, that, you know, he's a move-in over from Event. And – um his family owned a lot of land here. They decided to move up after 17 years and move in. And he's added great to that class. Uh, he's a great kid and just athletic and able to play. Also, Julian Jimenez, he's stepping up. He's a, you know, he's been starting since he was a freshman. But what we don't see in most of the stat lines is our 
is our freshmen right now this year that are having to start because, you know, there's no one else. We have a sophomore all-district player that, you know, broke his finger a few years – a few weeks ago, sorry, and has had to have surgery. So we're having to put freshmen in to, to play for him. And, you know, they – we had a, two of them step up really big the other night, and it's been impressive. It's just a more of a – everybody's having to step in every week and do what, what they can for us to survive. You know, when you talk about that, and, and that's a great point because – in six-man football, it's not uncommon for a freshman to be on the field, but especially at Division Two, oftentimes it's all hands on deck. How difficult is that as a coach, and how much fun is it at the same time to be able to take kids from freshman to senior and try and meld that into a winning team? It, you know, it's it's pretty it's fun, but it is uh, aggravating at times as well. We've had an opportunity to put a couple JV games on our schedule this year. We've had six out, six to seven out on JV, and. Uh, Carried about 11 on varsity, and some of those freshmen are being able to play varsity, which is neat for them. Uh, I've had those guys since seventh grade, been a part of their lives, and it's just good to see them grow, um, good to see them getting the, the opportunity to prove themselves and prove to themselves that I am worthy and I can do it. I love that. Um, I know that Coach Lee has said the same thing about having young players and how wonderful it is to see them grow. What do you usually do to instill some confidence in those younger players when you know that they're going to have to step up? We're hard on them, but not overly. We just make sure that they understand they are in a situation where they're held to a standard and they have to come up to that standard and we don't give them a chance to get out of it. Being that young, you want to find a way to you know, get out of the light and maybe I can just take a back seat and they don't have to put me in there again. But no, we make them stay in there, make them adjust and just make them grow. They don't grow if they don't go through struggle. So you're a guy who grew up in Motley County and you had uh, one of the better coaches in the ranks out there in Mike Bigham. What did you gain from Coach Bigham that's helped you uh, down this path in coaching? Oh, everything. <laughs> I call that guy every day. He actually married uh, – me and my wife got married this summer, and he married us. So I was in his wedding when I was in high school. He married us, and that was a pretty neat deal. But everything from being disciplined to being hard-nosed to being caring, you know, being tough but, but caring for your players. And a lot of people don't see that side of, of tough coaches. They don't see that – bringing that kid into the office, shaking his hand, having that kid sit down and break down and cry to you that stuff is going on. But then you can still go yell at them on Friday night to do their stinking job and hug their neck. You know, that's, that's basically what I've learned from him. Uh, it was a great, great man to, to help. He, he helped raise me basically. I mean, it was, it was great to be under for sure. I love hearing that about coach Beckham because I don't think many people see him that way. And yeah. I think he's pretty much a big old teddy bear. Um, <laughs> he's gotten a little softer over the years but you know at the first it was it was rough but uh he knew what he was doing with us and and we needed it and it molded us into what we are today and we're we're able to help lead the world now whenever took you know stuff is tough right now in the world as it is yeah it definitely is so coach you were talking about uh you know Coach Bigham, he's one of those guys that I think a lot of people see as a really strict guy, but really caring at the same time. That's just not something that people always associate with him. But you've seen that side of him. From your side of it as a coach, how fulfilling is it to you to kind of be that same personality where you're so instrumental in these young men's lives and, and getting them through day-to-day, -day, not just football, but everything in life? I've only been doing it for 10 years. I say only, that feels like forever. But – uh. I started coaching when I was 23, and I, my first job was out in Grand Falls. And I hadn't really seen the uh, the kickback of what all we put into it until this summer or this year. I had two kids message me. One kid was looking for me on Facebook. I don't have Facebook. He found my LinkedIn page, which you got to go searching for me to find that. And he messages me, and I had him, since seventh, I had him in seventh grade my first year to ever coach. And, he just said how thankful he was that, you know, he had me in seventh grade and that I was instrumental in his life and I was able to help him. And then uh, 
two weeks prior to that, I get one from Tanner Myers, a kid that I coached at Southland. And he's in the Navy now. And I told him, you know, go out and make something of yourself. And he sends me a message on my phone. I didn't even know who it was. And just seeing that and being able to to witness, you know, what Coach Bigham does witness with me and, and Perryman and uh, the rest of the guys that he's he's had under him, that's special. You don't get that in everything you do, you know. It's just great. It's great to have, and it's great to know that your work doesn't go undone, unseen and undone, and, and you just keep plugging along. Well, and, and you mentioned it uh, uh, off recording, but I want to I bring it up here. That group that you grew up with there in Motley County, you guys kind of changed everything that went there with Coach Bigham. How special mm-hmm. is that group that you grew up with? You know, very um, – a lot of people – I think people – that know Motley County. When I hear Motley County, I picture something else. When people, other people hear it now, I think they got very vague picture of what it really means. Whenever he came in and things started to change, I was telling Bobby, we, there was many times when we were freshmen that the seniors, juniors, sophomores, they would just leave practice. And uh, we would go out there by ourselves as freshmen, that, that class that we had, and, and practice on our own. And we wanted to be great. And he was able to come in and instill that and push us to the limit to make us, you know, what we were. And we weren't overly talented, but we, we worked hard. We believed in everything we did. You know, you don't see that a lot from, from kids anymore. They don't, they're not totally bought in. He was able to, to do that with us, and it changed that place forever. So, He's I'll, still going. Yeah, he's still after it. So let me ask you something uh, along those same lines. And we talked about all the coaches that are, are coaching now that kind of grew up in the same era that you grew up in. And you see this probably, I know you see this across all coaching carousels, but really, especially it seems like in six man and the ability uh, to reach out to almost any coach in the six man land and be able to talk to them. How, how special and how unique is that in the coaching world? Oh, it's very unique. It's funny that you bring that up. Cause I, I was talking this morning. I was driving to uh, driving back from my son's peewee game, and I called up Cade Kitley and uh, asked him some information about some defenses he's ran in the past. You know, he sends me everything that he has. <laughs> I, I call Bigham. He, he tells me some stuff. I call Perryman and Rucker, and they tell me stuff. And I've talked to guys from far west Texas, far east Texas. And everybody's just able to share. And what you have is what you have. You got to implement it. You got to put it into to progress. And if your kids don't believe what you're doing, it doesn't matter anyway. No doubt. Coach, fantastic interview. Once we get done here now, you and I talked about it. You got to give me plenty of dirt on Stacy Perryman because there's got to be some out there. And, and, you know, I need that information. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk off, off of off air here. But uh, we do appreciate you joining us. Best of luck to your Bobcats both Friday night and for the rest of the year. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you. And I got to tell you, Bobby, that's one of the best interviews we've had. Coach uh, Coach Archer was just very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just very down home and, and very speaking very much from the heart. Oh, he definitely was. And you could just feel it. You know, he has, he has so much uh, caring for his kids and for uh, Coach Bigham and his friends that he grew up with. It just really came through in that interview and. And it just made me feel, it just made me smile. Definitely. It, it definitely did there. Well, let's get to it. Let's turn to the scoreboard and we'll start in uh, division one. And we talked about the outset, so many teams on bye week it actually didn't take me a lot, a really long time to put the scores in because there just wasn't a lot of games out there. There really wasn't. Um, but there were some, you know, that were, that were really high energy. It definitely was. So let's get there. Uh, we'll start at the top in Division One. May, no problem with Lamita, 54-6. Braden Steele, uh, seven carries, 40 yards, and a touchdown. 4-6 uh, through the air, 85 yards, and a touchdown as well. Bryson Guerrero, five tackles, two interceptions. One of those was a 30-yard pick six. Number two, Abbott. They were open, which brings us to number three, Garden City. And that rough and tumble district, District 7 that they're in. And Garden City wins this one 81 to 36. Garden City was only up 36 to 30 at halftime. And then they just absolutely blew the doors off the couch in the third quarter. 
Blaine Waltz, four carries, 60 yards, and three touchdowns. Logan Seidenberger, 10 of 16, 169, and four scores. And Mason Walker, seven receptions, 143 yards, and three touchdowns. And uh, that's a, I think Borden County is down compared to where they've been at in the past. That's still a big win in that tough district. It really is because you never know what's going to happen with Borden County. They'll come out and, I mean, the first half was evidence of that. I was watching that score and thinking, uh-oh, what's going on? And I, you just you just can't ever put anything past Trey and Bubba and the Borden County Coyotes. Yeah, so Garden City wins that one. And I know we've got from Cow Country Radio, uh, Goonie over there on the call. He says, and we, we didn't have a chance to check this, but I have no reason to believe he's not right. That's the first district loss for Borden County in 15 years. We talked about Richmond Springs losing a game, uh, a district game for the first time in 21 years. And this seems to be the year of streaks going down the drain. It does sound like that. It's it's just been a crazy year, and I think there is more to come. I'm with you. Uh, number four, Rankin, they were open, so that takes us to number five, Westbrook. No problem with Roby, 86 to 36. Grayson Jeffrey. Seven carries, 223 yards, and five touchdowns. So five of his seven carries go for scores. Uh, ten and a half tackles and Brandon Larson. He also ran for 205 yards himself and four touchdowns. Four of the Roby Lions and Coach Stadion. Brendan Fawcett, 16 of 32 through the air, 151 and three touchdowns. Also had three picks in that game. Um, and then uh, six carries for 24 yards and a touchdown. And Dylan Lujan, 10 of 12 through the air and 91 yards. Number six, Arion County, all over Eden, 78 to nothing. Trevin Cofell, six of eight, 113, five touchdowns. Parker Posey, Bo Morrow, two receiving touchdowns each. And Keegan Wadsworth, six tackles, two fumble recoveries, one of those, a scoop and score. Takes it to the game that I had on Friday night. Happy over Lubbock Kingdom Prep, the Warriors, 78 to 38. And a game that was way closer than I think anybody anticipated. The Cowboys favored by 45. They win it by 40, and you go, okay, well, that's kind of you know, what we thought. Hey, give Kingdom Prep all the uh, uh, kudos that you should. They came out ready to play in this one, and it took Happy almost a full half to to really kind of right the ship there. But Trice Johnson, 17 carries, 184 yards, three touchdowns. His running mate, Joy Blackman, 11 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns. And Camden and Sperry, two interceptions. One of those a pick six, and it was big because Happy was up 40-32 to 32 late in the second quarter when he got that pick six, which put him up 46-32. And Really, it kind of seemed Happy's game after that. This Ben Lashaway, and let me talk about him for a minute, spread back for the Warriors. 32 carries, 212 yards, and three touchdowns. Also had a 70-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. One of the hardest-running spread backs I have seen in quite some time. Very impressed with Lashaway there for the Warriors. Number eight, Jonesboro over Santa Ana, 62-16. to Knox City was open, and it brings us to number 10, Gordon. No problem with Bryson. 58 to nothing. So when we look at Division One, there, Bobby, I don't see any changes as we head into uh, district play as far as the rankings go. I don't either. It's going to come down to some really big battles in district, but I think we'll be talking about that here in the next few weeks. That we will. Division Two, number one, Benjamin, open again this week. Number two, Balmeray, the Bears, and Coach Jones, no problem with Grand Falls Royalty, 76 to nothing. Number three, Cherokee was open, as was number four, Lorraine. So number five, Whitherald on the road to take on the Oaks of Cotton Center. No problem there, 60 to nothing. Shamadric Weaver, 97 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. Caden Smith, 42 yards as well, and two touchdowns. They held Cotton Center to negative 17 yards total offense. Impressive stuff there. Number six, Silverton taking on Groom in a District 1-1-A battle in Division Two. This is a game I was at Thursday night. An incredible, incredible game, Bobby. And I got to tell you, it, it typified six-man football because we're about midway through the first quarter in this one, and they go to turn the lights on, and they're having trouble getting them on. So we're delayed for about five minutes. They finally get them on. Well, a bank of lights on the north end of the stadium on the home side couldn't come on they never got them on the whole game oh wow that one end zone and that one part of the uh the field was pretty dark all night long coach Hearn, coach pete said it doesn't matter this is six-man football we're silverton and groom we're playing football you're not going to see that happen in the four a's and the five a's you know 
No, they would have went home. Not a six-man community. We're we're here for football. Let's we're play. Here. Let's play, and that's exactly what they did. Groom wins this one, 54-52. to 52. This game came down to the final seven seconds. Groom had a third and goal from the four-yard line, and they called their man Stephen Keeler's number. The spread back uh, scrambled around in the pocket, couldn't find anybody, so he took off for the end zone. Sawyer Francis made him there at about the four. He made a juke move. Uh, Francis was able to only get a lick on one leg, and he dove from about the three-and-a-half-yard line and uh, looking like Superman as he gets propelled through the end zone for a touchdown, and Groom wins this one 54-52. An incredible ball game. I thought both teams played really well in this one. Just that's the kind of game when you go to these six-man games that you want to see and, and you know win or lose, you left that game going, what a ball game, and that's exactly what we had in Silverton Thursday night. Stephen Keeler, three rushing touchdowns, four passing touchdowns. Saw you, Francis, six rushing touchdowns in this one. So Groom beats Silverton. 54 to 52 and Bobby and Bobby if you go to my Twitter handle C underscore Spiri and you can see that final play with Stephen Keeler amazing job by the young man people got to realize Stephen Keeler's not but about five foot six maybe five foot seven standing on some high heels or something you know he is a small kid but that dude gives everything he's got coach Pete was absolutely thrilled after the ball game just a really fun game to be at so groom now in the driver's seat there in district one one a now, let me tell you, you were living right because you got a great video. That was probably the best video of a touchdown I have seen this year. Well, I got really lucky. You know, actually, before the play started, I, I signaled Keeler and said, hey, I need you to score right here. And and, and he, he did that for me. So he did. He said, oh, look, there's Craig. I'm going to go for him. <laughs> uh, we it worked out that way, don't you? Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? My job as a photographer would be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> moving on through the list number seven Jayton, no problem with the jaguars from guthrie 60 to 8 number eight paducah man they wiped out Harold 78 to nothing hornets uh taking a tough one there and then brings us up to number nine richland springs in a flat out battle with the rochelle hornets richland springs on the road lost their first district game last week to cherokee first time in 21 years and richland springs holds on to beat rochelle 44 to 40 in this game keston lusty yeah that's a name you've heard before 15 carries 139 yards three touchdowns nine and a half tackles and a sack cut and rogers helped him out five of eight through the air 66 yards and two touchdowns for the hornets kelton williams 25 carries 150 yards and two scores another 75 yards through the air sean estes who set the uh, state mark last week Two carries, 49 yards, and two touchdowns, but they held him to two receptions for 14 yards. So that's key there for the Richland Springs uh, Cowboys as they win this one 44-40. And a game I know you were following, and it just sounded like a barn burner. Oh, it, it definitely was. Uh, Rochelle Hornets came out a little flat the first half, and Richland was able to put up all 44 points in the first two quarters. But after halftime, it was a totally different story. The momentum flip-flopped. And Rochelle just wasn't able to finish at the end. But boy, that was a barn burner. So a great win there for Richland Springs. And, you know, now the pressure's on. And we'll talk about big games coming up. But another big game coming up. And uh, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. And then let's finish things out. Uh, Klondike, the Cougars, no problem with loop. 46 to nothing, number 10 Klondike. And Coach DeGraffenreid, we know that he checks out Twitter. Because, Bobby, tell us all about what Coach D pulled off on Friday night. Okay, so we're going to do Lehman's six-man one-on-one a little bit early in this uh, podcast, but obviously Coach DeGraffenried was looking at Twitter, and Lehman had posted something about the 1954 six-man football magazine, and it had this straight-line defense. Lehman had put the question out there, has anyone ever run this? And of course, everyone was like, oh, I think we should do this, you know, just kind of joking around. Well, let me tell you, Coach D took it to heart and Klondike ran it on Friday night against Loop. I have the video. I have also the picture of the magazine article, and that is up on the Backroads podcast webpage at 1afan.com. So you'll want to go look at that. 
Uh, it looks a little crazy because straight line is exactly what it sounds like. They're all just lined up behind each other. And they actually, I don't think that the, that loop got any yard yardage off of that run. Uh, it looked like Klondike ran it really well. It kind of makes me wonder, will any other coach try it? <laughs> well, it would be interesting to see that happen. Now, remember, folks, we're talking about defense. Don't be like your idiot podcaster here, me, and watch the offense and go, well, I don't see anything interesting about this video. Look at the defense and the Klondike Cougars. They're in that uh, crazy defense that we talked about, Lehman's 101. Great job. Big shout out to Coach DeGraff and Reed. Fantastic job of doing that. And it's just another reason to love six man football. Something like that would never get pulled off an 11 man. That never. is the kind of thing that happens in six man. And you got to absolutely love it. And he did it on homecoming. That's even better. I mean, so many more people got to see it. But if you want to go see how Klondike ran the straight line defense, go out there. Uh, got the video up. It's, it's quite something to behold. And what's so funny is that. You watch offense. My first thing to watch is always defense. <laughs> you would think that would be flip-flopped. Well, you would think. But, no, I just watch the defense. I'm a, I, it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> well, and being run on homecoming, no truth to the rumor as we finish this one off that uh, the man who made the tackle on that one was going to get named homecoming queen. We, we we debunked that rumor, but uh, <laughs> still a great job there on the straight line defense from the Cougars. Take a look at some other scores throughout the state. Hey, this one really intrigued me. Petersburg beats Crest 72 to 62, and I think most people thought Crest would win that ball game. I've heard rumblings that Petersburg might be better than people expect, and that's a big win there for the Buffaloes. It really is. I was watching that score, and, and Petersburg was way ahead of them at one point. Crest started to come back there in the th the late third and then the fourth quarter. But, you know, the Buffaloes, they held on. So shout out to Scotty Brewington. He's got those Petersburg Buffaloes ready for district. And they are right in the hunt of uh, District 3-1-A now, right in the title hunt there. So it should be interesting. Uh, we talked to Coach Archer, his Newcastle Bobcats all over Cransfield's Gap. It's just the gap. That's just what I got to call them. 83 mm -hmm. to 34. Ty Strawbridge, uh, 75 yards rushing, 71 yards passing, five total touchdowns. Oh, he also caught a touchdown uh, in this one. So he told Coach Archer, hey, I can do whatever you need me to do, Coach. Isaac King, 205 yards rushing, three touchdowns, six tackles, and two INTs. Uh, Union Hill all over Dallas Lutheran, 65 to 14. Jake Bass doing quick work there, 128 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Devin Espinosa says, I can do you one better, 135 yards on the ground and four touchdowns. He also had a passing touchdown and two interceptions on defense. Uh, and then Logan Dunn, a pick six there for Coach Bragdon's team. Uh, Milford and Blum in a wild game. And Blum wins this one, 76-68. to 68. Lane Good, 128 yards rushing and four touchdowns for the Bobcats. Lane Williams, 108 yards passing and three touchdowns. And for the Bulldogs, Amir Newman, 161 yards rushing and two touchdowns. And Preston Galindo, 9 of 22 for 193 and three scores. The Bobcats and Bulldogs in an absolute dogfight. I guess it's, I don't know, Bobcats and Bulldogs, dog and cat fight, something like that. But a really good game there that the Bobcats pull off. Yes, and I had uh, James McIntyre, uh, also known as Teddy Clutch. He's from Milford. Uh, he also runs track at Tarleton now. Uh, he was sending me scores and he was giving me a little commentary and uh, it got a little chippy early in the game, but then it all evened out and Blum and Milford just went to battle. So that was a great game there in Blum. James said he really enjoyed watching it. So uh, that's a good win there for the Bobcats and uh, a close one, 76 to 68. Follett over Will Dorado, 60 to 14. Shane Franks, 102 yards rushing and three touchdowns. David Meeks, 116 yards rushing and four touchdowns. So uh, Coach Timmons got the Panthers ready for District 1-1-A action. Uh, other scores throughout the state, Aquila uh, sneaks by Coolidge, 44-42. The Blanket Tigers continue to roll. They take out Gustine. We knew a Tiger would win in this one, 66-16. Uh, Gorman over Perrin went 38 to nothing. Brooksmith. 
and Lone do battle. Both teams winless, and Brooke Smith wins this one 46 to nothing, and so they get their first victory of the season. Other scores out there, Sands and Grady in a good one. Sands and Coach Ty Keith there uh, win it 62 to 54. Headley and LaFours in a barn burner. Headley wins it 65 to 63. Got a, that had to have been a really good game to be at as well. Ira over a Highland, 54 to 44. Brighton Partain for the Bulldogs, 160 yards rushing and two scores. Dimitri Juarez had two touchdowns as well. And Cooper Bowen for the Hornets, 144 yards rushing, three touchdowns. And, uh, well, I hope I get this name right. Tylen Balthrop, that's my best guess at it, 72 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Other scores throughout the state. Uh, how about this one? Oakwood and Tempe, Temple Syntex High School go to battle, or Tempe Syntex High School. I'm not sure what it is. I might have typed that wrong. Oakwood wins this one. That's what matters. 105 to 58. Now, we talked about Zach Nickerson in the game he had several weeks ago. In, in that game that we talked about with Nickerson, didn't he have 489 yards? Something crazy like that. You're right, Bobby. 489 yards in that ball game, eight touchdowns. At that time, he'd already had 1,600 yards rushing and 32 touchdowns. Get this, 17 carries, 402 yards, not eight touchdowns. He said eight touchdowns is for that. that's for sissies. Not nine, not 10, not 11, a dozen touchdowns. How do you do that? I don't know. It sounds like he can score whenever he feels like it. Holy cow, that's amazing. So the Panthers win that one, 105 to 58. The poor Ryder Perry he has a great game, 8 of 10 through the air, 140 yards uh, passing and three touchdowns. And everybody looks at him and goes, so? <laughs> Where's your other? Oh, you know. Yeah, exactly. Touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, there's a look at the scoreboard throughout the state and uh, so much going on. Let's kind of uh, put a bow on everything. So we still got six undefeated teams in Division One. We still got four undefeated teams in Division Two. Uh, those in Division One: Gordon, Union Hill, Abbott, Erion County, May, and Medina. And on the Division Two side, Sanderson, Benjamin, Oglesby, uh, and Cherokee. Uh, so you know, we talked about last week. Not a whole lot of of uh, teams who were undefeated. So I decided to look. We got 15 teams in Division One that only have one loss, and we have 10 teams in Division Two that have one loss. Still seems like a little bit of a small number, so a lot of parity going on out there. And on top of that, when we talk about parity, I looked at well, what teams haven't won. Three in Division One and six in Division Two, which seems like a, a kind of a small number as well. It so does. lots of parity this year in six-man football. So before we get out of this whole football thing, let's uh, take a look at the schedule for next week, and it is chock full of some good ones. Union Hill goes on the road. They're going to take on St. Joe. The Happy Cowboys and the Nazareth Swifts doing battle. That's two teams that have a long rivalry. That one going on in Nazareth Friday night at 7 o'clock. That most likely will be for the District 2-1-A title there. White Deer at McLean. That's two teams with uh, five and one and five and two records, uh, trying to see who can potentially get uh, the second spot in that district. We talked about Petersburg. Now Spring Lake Earth has to go to Petersburg, and Petersburg in the driver's seat, looking for a big win there. Erion County at Robert Lee. Robert Lee got their first loss last week, so you, they're going to be looking to bounce back. Valley at Spur. That should be a fascinating ball game there. Valley starting to get healthy. Can they shut down the little mighty might there in Spur? That will be the answer or question we're looking for. Westbrook on the road to take on Hermley and Coach Sammy Winter's team. Rochelle, we talked about them on the road to take on Cherokee. And, man, talk about uh, from the frying pan into the fryer. Holy cow, you go from playing Richland Springs. Now you got to go on the road to take on the Cherokee Indians. That'll be a tough one. And the Coach Archer mentioned it. Newcastle at Strawn in that wide-open District 8-1A that they're in. Just, you know, you look at this, is what I love about district, because sometimes you get some games and you're just like, I've been waiting on this. I've been waiting on it. It's here. Right. Yeah. There's one on November 4th that I'm sitting here waiting on. That's Garden City at Rankin. So I completely understand where you're coming from on that. But let me back up because, you know, happy at Nazareth. That's oh. going to that's going to be a game. Oh, it will be. You know, there's so much. uh friendliness between those two towns right Bobby 
Oh, yeah, they're just right down the road from each other. You know, they love each other. Yeah, it's such a big rivalry. And it, it is kind of funny because so many of the townspeople in both of those towns really do get along with each other. But aren't they mostly related too? Well, they, to a point there is. But the funny part is you get on a football field, you get on a basketball court, a tennis court, you get on the golf course, you find the trade. It doesn't matter. We play chess out in a cotton field. <laughs> They just hate each other when that happens. So it, it that place will be absolutely lit up on Friday night. Should be a really fun atmosphere for six-man football. Well, I'm going to be out of town, but I plan on listening to that and some others. I can usually listen to about three at the same time. So I believe that's going to be one of them. Well, it'll be a good one. So let's kind of get to some of your notes there that you had on football. And tell us about Zephyr and somebody who's been playing football there for six years. Oh, I love this. You know, last year we talked about uh, several of the girls who played. I think there's a kicker uh, for St. Joe, a kicker for Groom. And this year we have London Lucier. I hope I said that correctly. She plays for Zephyr and has played for six years. She started in fifth grade and played youth football and kept with it through junior high and now she's a sophomore and get this craig she plays fullback for the zephyr bulldogs of course she does so and she's beautiful you should see her she's got she's just a beautiful girl uh shout out to london and keep up the good work that's an awesome story and Speaking of, well, maybe not an awesome story, but a story none the well. Let's talk about our good buddy Jeff Jones over at Garden City and how he decided to uh, get in a fight with a water cow and lose. I think he tried to wrestle that cow and it didn't work out so well for him. You know, in the past podcast, we have said that he was the immortal Jeff Jones. Well, he may not be immortal after all, but yes, he he was in a tussle with a water cow and ended up breaking a bone in his foot. Uh, as Jeff Jones would do, he just slapped a boot on it and he called it good. But shout out to Coach Jeff Jones. We hope you heal quickly. Now, we got to add something to this story. I'm leading the crew in the back who are just really, really stupid, and we're all raising our hand going, what is a water cow, Bobby? A water cow. Okay, so not every team has them. It's like a box, and it's got these little tubes coming off of it, like maybe a dairy cow would look. And it's what I'm trying to do, describe it, but it's it's what the players drink water from, and it's not like just an orange cooler. It's but they call it a water cow, and no, it's not like the animal. I was explaining this to my daughter earlier today, and she's like. She was looking at me like, you mean like that big animal? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, he wasn't wrestling that water cow. <laughs> well, I don't know. He might've had big O out there wrestling one. He'd have probably uh, taken that challenge up. Well, I think what happened was it was tipping over and he tried to um, keep it from tipping over. I don't think big O was in the area because I think big O would have grabbed it and just said, here, coach, let me, let me handle that for you. Uh, so, so hopefully he gets better quickly. Cause you know, we, he likes to move around on the sidelines. Well, you're right there, Bobby prayers for quick healing for coach Jones and, uh, coach Jones stay away from the water cow. Life will be good moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to other sports and volleyball is saw a huge upset. And I'm going to turn it over to you, Bobby, to tell us all about it. Oh, yeah. So so I started looking at volleyball and I've been seeing stuff about district and, and we already have two, two district winners. We'll get that to just a minute. But, um, you know, I was updating my infamous spreadsheet, as you call it, and trying to get ready for volleyball playoffs. And I've already typed two teams into the uh, district championship spot. Uh, San Isidro clinched the third consecutive district champion on Tuesday night. They won in straight sets over San Perlita. The three teams in this district are San Isidro, La Serra, and San Perlita. Um, also district champions, 
are the Aspermont Lady Hornets. Congratulations, Lady Hornets. They are District 8 champions. So here we go. District 22, the Lady Panthers of Oakwood finished the first round of their district games, and they're 3-0. and And then we have District 27, where Richards remains undefeated in district play with a 3-1 victory over North Zulch. And over in District 28, this is the match you were talking about. It was a terrific 1A match. Round top car mean upsets number one Fayetteville last Tuesday. They went five sets and they finally ended up edging the number one volleyball team in the state. 26 to 24, 25 to 27, 25, 20, 17 to 25, and then 16 to 14. RTC, which I always say for round top Carmine, is four and one. And after last night, Fayetteville is five and one in District 28 play. RTC is 17 and 13 overall. Fayetteville is 35 and four. That kind of caused a little wrinkle over in District 28. So we're going to see how that plays out over the next few weeks. I got to think that as the kids would say, that place was probably lit with that match because volleyball matches can get so intense and the fans can really get into it. I can't imagine the fever pitch going five sets in a game like that. Oh my gosh. You know, it was crazy in that gym. Yeah. I would have loved to have been there. Uh, that, that was a, a match to behold. I am sure. Let's finish with uh district uh, 19. One thing I noticed when I was looking through this is that there are 32 districts of those 32 districts, 12 have three teams in them. So this is how that plays out. Playoff C, three teams going to the playoff. The runner-up and the third-place teams play each other during the bye district round, while the district champion has a bye for the bye district and begins playoffs in the area round. So they will play the winner between the runner-ups and the third-place teams. So... Uh, I'd like to let you know that as soon as places one, two, and three are set for each district, the infamous spreadsheet will appear for 1A Volleyball, and I'll put it on the volleyball webpage. One thing I wanted to do is give a shout out to a team who won their very first ever district volleyball game. Congratulations to Rising Star. This is their first district win in volleyball, and that's exciting. Keep it going, ladies. So let me ask you, Bobby, I got a question for you. If you've got a really good young volleyball player at Rising Star, do you call her a Rising Star? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a dad question there. Well, you. you know, I was just waiting for the dad joke to rear its ugly head. And there it is, folks. Thank there you, you Craig. You, you, <laughs> you prove me right every time. I love that. Well, let's move to cross country now. And before we get into regionals, because regionals are coming up, You've got some awesome notes, and I think we want to get to those first here. And uh, first one comes from Lorenzo. That's right. Uh, Lorenzo had some cross kids running cross country, but they were a few runners short of having a team for the District 6 cross country meet last Tuesday. Coach Sepp asked some of the players uh, on the football team if they would step in and help make a team. So five Football Hornets volunteered. Three were called up and ran in the district cross-country meet. And the Lorenzo boys cross-country team is now headed to regionals. Talk about awesome teamwork. No kidding. So another lovely sportsmanship. This one's out of District 15. And this is an awesome story here. It really is. Uh, so West Koenig, and I looked up my past infamous spreadsheets for cross country. And yes, his name did appear in the number one spot in, in that district the last few years. Um, he was injured. After Knox City boys completed the race, Wes was injured and was walking because he wanted to 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 do the race those Knox City boys went back and walked with him for the rest of the race. 
once others saw them, they joined in. And so this is a shout out to all the boys in District 15 who gave support to Wes. You guys are the real MVPs. No doubt about it. That's an incredible story. And the kind of things that we want to make sure that people know about that it's just that that's the kind of thing that really just puts the one a community over the top of that kind of sportsmanship that you see there. Oh, definitely. We see that time and time again, our kids here in the six man community, they just have that drive and they have that, that heart to help others. I was just so happy to see that. And I love stories like that. So if you know of a story like that, let us know, because we will definitely tell it. We definitely will. So let's say, take a look now at cross country. And we talk about regionals coming up next week and, uh, Bobby's infamous cross-country spreadsheet is going to get out there. It is out there now, but uh, she's going to get you a top 20, hopefully by tomorrow. But in the next uh, couple of days, anyway, we'll have that out there. So I took the spreadsheet that we do have out there and started looking at it. And when you look at Region 1, right now, the favorites going into that one on the boys' side, Jayton, Textline, and Sands. Boy, Jayton looking really good, Bobby. Robbie, Robert Lowry leads the way there for them. He uh, clocked a 16.54 in the three miles. And Jayton, as you talked about, it was their top seven or eight runners are all in like the top 20. Oh, in the in the region, yes. All seven are in the top 20. Five, I believe, are in the top 10. So um, Jayton's running well. They're proving that they should have been in that cross-country uh, ranking those three poles that we've already talked about. Yes, they should have been on the girl side. Guess what? Jayton again. Plus you got Naz spring, Lake earth, Grady sands, all of them there with the uh, comparable times. When you look at this region, obviously you got to bring up Taylor, uh, Tatum Goodman. Unbelievable. She clocked an 1137. I was at that district meet. I've never seen someone so far ahead of the competition. And it wasn't even a funny, the next closest time out there in the region is 1242 that is 65 seconds later in other Uh, words a normal person could go out and go a full lap around the track before the next person showed up unreal yeah well that's tatum we all know tatum she did the same thing at state last year so i expect her to do the same thing she just quietly goes about her business and and she just takes off and, and leaves people. She's she's just an outstanding runner. And she, she is so fun to watch. Oh, yeah. It, it is. You know, people may go, watching somebody? Oh, no, no. Go watch Tatum Goodman run uh, cross country. It is something to behold. Poor Jace Chisholm, the freshman there for Jayton. She's running at 12.42, a really good state time. And yet you're 65 seconds behind the person that you know is going to win first place. So uh, yeah. incredible there. Region 2, the boys' side, Comstock, Eula, Erion County, Knox City, all running well. Take Cormier for Erion County as the best time on the boys, a 17.08. And on the girls' side, Eula, Buena Vista, and Roby doing well. And Katie Goins at Cross Plains running a 12.33. That is a very good time there. So uh, uh, good job there from Katie. Region 3, no surprise, Miller Grove. Have you ever heard that name before? No, Slide- never. Yeah, never. <laughs> Slidell and Perrin Witt, but Grayford, Landon Cobb there, 16-11. That is flat out moving on three miles. And uh, so he's got the top spot there, and that is the best time uh, when you look at it across the state right now. On the girls' side, Miller Grove, Pretty, and Slidell. And I'll mess this up, but uh, Grayford, you know, they like turning them out. Kaylee Bezio, maybe. Bezio, uh, I think it's Bezio. Bezio, okay. Ran a 1257, so she's got the top time there in Region 3. Region 4, run TMC at the top of the charts, uh, both boys and girls. McMullen County, San Perlita, Utopia, and Fayetteville kind of lead the way on the boys' side. Jose Ventura of Lasara, though, running a 1644. Uh, that's the top uh, time for the boys. And on the girls' side, McMullen County, Lakey, Roundtop Carmine, Brooklyn, Moulton, and no surprise, somebody with the last name of Billingsley has the uh, top time on the girls' side. That would be Isabella Billingsley. Yes, that's his sister. 
uh, for McMullen County running a 1249. So there's a, just kind of a, a preview of the regional uh, cross-country meets that will be going on next week across the great state of Texas and should be a lot of fun to see how that turns out. You know, cross-country – it's kind of interesting because I can't say that I'm somebody who necessarily followed it until my son started running it. It really is a lot of fun to watch those kids gut it out because it, it is amazing how much they they get into it, the coaches, the parents get into it, and how much, especially like when you get to the state meet and, and you look at some of these teams who are battling for the top spot trying to win a, a team championship how much they know exactly where they're at as far as rankings. And that fifth runner is as important as the first runner. It is. Uh, I ran cross country and absolutely hated it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of hard for a six foot girl to run. I mean, I've seen them run before, but my heart wasn't in it, but you know, I do appreciate a good cross country race because you know, people think, oh, well, it's just this huge, you know, everybody runs really fast at the first and then, you know, that kind of just spreads out. But but then you you watch people who can run a race and they they have their watches on. Tatum Goodman does this. I've seen her do it. I watched Brandon Passman and Isaiah Billingsley do it. They have their watch. They they set a pace. And, you know, I am very impressed with that because I don't know that I could have ever done that. <laughs> well, you were, you were talking about people starting out fast. Well, Tatum Goodman starts out fast. She keeps running fast in the middle of the race. And at the end of the race, she's running fast again. So you know. I, I think she just sprints the whole thing. <laughs> I, I really do. But it's a beautiful thing to watch. And, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It really is. And people really get into it. So even though you may not like running cross country, like, oh, Bobby Brown over here, um, it's really a great thing to watch. And it just, it, truly does inspire me for about five minutes and then you know I think oh my gosh I could do that and then I remember that I didn't really care for it that much so <laughs> well it, it definitely inspires me as as a parent I'm the one running uh me and my wife we you know we run from spots to spots trying to cheer our son on and and the rest of the team and go 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 and then the next day I go, oh, yeah, you're 53 and you're old, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't work too well. <laughs> it is definitely hard on an old person. Well, well Bobby, that's going to wrap it up for us. Lots of good football games going on again on Friday night. Uh, you're going to be traveling this week, so uh, safe travels to you there. We want to uh, thank Coach Isaiah Archer over at Newcastle for a fabulous interview. He did a wonderful job for us. But uh, until next Sunday, I'm Craig Spree with the Happy Sports Network. And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. Remember, go forward and do good.